Man, I tell ya, all the sweating you do down here, at least I'm losing a couple pounds or two. Soon I might look good naked. And speaking of which, this episode is brought to you by Naked Nutrition. Naked Nutrition provides you with pure protein powders and supplements to help you meet your nutrition and fitness goals. Naked Nutrition is completely transparent about their ingredients. That way you know exactly what's going into your body. No additives means your body gets more of what it needs. And if you don't believe me, I suggest checking out their Naked PB, which is actually a powdered peanut butter. Really good if you're into protein. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase at NakedNutrition.com by using the code POD. That's P-O-D, POD. That's 10% off using the code POD for first-time customers. Take your nutrition to the next level with Naked Nutrition. I, on the other hand, have to be naked by choice because the fires of hell have burnt off all my clothing. Now then, on with the show. And now, whether you like it or not, this is Teller Hell. Contrary to popular belief, we do celebrate Christmas here in hell, just not the way everybody else on the surface does. We don't take part in any of the holly jolly stuff, but we do play a key role in one aspect of it. Santa's naughty list. You know, one of the two lists that he checks twice. Once the big guy finalizes his naughty list for the year, he faxes it over to the boss. Why by fax? Because this is hell. We wouldn't be what we are if it weren't for antiquated technology. The boss gets a hold of that list and then transfers the names down here to our wrath circle. Why wrath? Because we need all those angry souls down here to take care of the backbreaking labor of shoveling lumps of coal for the naughty kids. Now, if you think that sounds like a torturous way to celebrate the holiday, I can do you one better. And Pac-Man's in the driver's seat for Christmas this year, because Santa's got Pac-Man fever. What is said to be one of the worst Christmas specials of all time is coming down the chimney today. One that blatantly cashes in on the holiday and a trend of the 80s at the same time. And one that will take a sack of quarters to hit upside the head instead of plugging into the arcade machine in Telehell. Arguably, the video game that turned an otherwise niche hobby into a household name, if you don't include Pong, Asteroids, or anything made by the Atari company first. It stands to reason that Pac-Man was a major paradigm shifter when it was released in 1980. The few arcade games that were available for public consumption had a lot of interactivity to offer its players, but very little else aside from one-dimensional monochromatic graphics. Pac-Man changed all of that by not only introducing more color to the still young novelty of video games, but also an increasing challenge the more one played it, ushering in the trend of maze and chase games. From there, a multi-billion dollar phenomenon was born, and all because game creator and developer Toru Iwatani had a slice of pizza one day and thought the rest of the pie had a unique design. 
allegedly. Even we're not sure if that part of the origin story is true, but I digress. Point is, once Pac-Man made his presence known in the arcades, the Yellow Gobbler of Pellets then made his presence known through one of our proudest achievements down here. Merchandising. Merchandising! Merchandising! Where the real money from the movie is made! It would soon become apparent that people didn't even have to play the game to know what Pac-Man was. A cute yellow creature who chased ghosts if the ghosts weren't chasing him first. And in the midst of all the t-shirts, trinkets, toys, music, music parodies, spin-off games, and the game itself, Pac-Man wouldn't truly hit the zenith of the cultural zeitgeist until television got its mitts on it. And no, we don't mean in the form of a home video game system. That's a different kind of hell altogether. We're talking more along the lines of an animated series. And with that said, we now need to bow our heads in respect to two pioneers. William Hanna and Joseph Barbera were a pair of animators either on par with or, in some circles, greater than Walt Disney, depending on who you ask. Their long careers began in the late 1930s when they were humble staff animators for MGM. During their tenure, they co-created one of the most iconic cartoon duos of all time in Tom and Jerry. The nearly 20-year success that Hanna and Barbera had at MGM was more than enough so that when the studio discontinued their animated short subjects division, the duo went on to start their own cartoon company, the aptly named Hanna-Barbera, who for decades gave us one hit after another. Meet George Jensen. And because of just how big a lock it had on Saturday mornings in the 60s, 70s, and into the 80s, it seemed like a foregone conclusion that Hanna-Barbera would be the ones who could turn trendy things into their own animated spin-offs. Ironically, this was the part of their careers where they started to experience a slip in quality control. Still, though, the company had so much on the air back then that even a modest misfire or two wouldn't be enough to bring the company down. Hell, they wound up getting acquired by Ted Turner in the 90s, so I'm gonna venture a guess and say they did all right for themselves. But before any of that happened, we need to travel to the development year of 1981. We say development year because, as some may know, it often takes about a year for an animated TV series to go from script to screen, even in this day and age. The ABC Television Network and the Hanna-Barbarians probably had the most established relationship among all the networks when it came to the shows that they aired, so it only seemed like a fit for both of them to team up on a future Pac-Man animated series, and in doing so, making history, as this would become the first animated series to ever be based on a video game. Of course, as is the case in anything creative, certain liberties needed to be taken in order to successfully port the character from one medium to another. For starters, Pac-Man had to be more than a two-dimensional figure who ate pellets and ghosts if he was going to translate well to a TV audience. So, the powers that be at Hanna-Barbera decided to turn Pac-Man from a flat yellow circle to a sphere with arms, legs, eyes, and teeth. 
And I kinda have to grant them a point there, because a flat, legless circle might have made sense in the video game world, but in a cartoon, where characters have to emote constantly, there was really no choice in the matter but to go that rude. Also needed in a cartoon, voices. Because let's face it, you wouldn't want a 30-minute TV series where the only sounds that came out of Pac-Man's mouth was this. So another obvious concession was to give the occupants of Pac-Land a voice to go with their newly drawn faces. Fortunately, Hanna-Barbera had access to some of the best voice actors in the business, up to and including Frank Welker, Rusey Taylor, Chuck McCann, and many others. And leading the way is the voice of Pac-Man, is a guy I really only know for being Shirley Jones's husband. I wish it was a Lifetime Achievement Award, but she hasn't lived that long yet, so give her a little time. You'll get one next year. Next year. I know next to nothing about the late Marty Ingalls, so I'm not 100% certain how I should treat his performance going forward. Still, though, Hanna-Barbera tapped him to play Pac-Man anyway. In addition to the ghosts, Pac-Man also had his own population of Pac-People to communicate with, including Miss Pac-Man, who, for some reason, the show decided to formally name Pepper. Pepper? Yes, Pepper. Because he really spiced up our lives. Also, to further appeal to family audiences, the pack couple was also given a pack baby, a pack dog, and a pack cat in the midst of a town full of pack people. Because I guess putting the word pack either in front of or behind another word means instant money for those who use it. Just ask your local politicians. The enemies of the show were, of course, the four ghosts that chase our hero. Inky, Blinky... Pinky, Clyde, and Sue? Who the hell is Sue? Sue, 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 oh god, yes, Sue! <laughs> well, as it turns out, Sue was the placement holder ghost for Clyde once the Miss Pac-Man game was released earlier in 1982. And I guess they added her to the show as a diversity hire, or something. But that aside, Sue's inclusion here isn't half as baffling a question mark as why do the ghosts have a boss? Oh! I must have those power pellets! Oh, I need a power pellet bonus! Oh, how I wish I was joking. But it's true. The writers and the producers of the show saw it fit to have a bigger bad guy essentially be the supervisor to the four ghosts plus one fifth wheel. Why was he added to the show when he never appeared on the game's 256th level? The simple answer was because if all the show turned out to be was Pac-Man eating pellets while being chased after ghosts, the show probably wouldn't have made it past the pilot phase. So, chances are, the show's writers and producers added this Mesmeron guy just to increase any possible tension. Then again, it's already tense enough trying to outrun ghosts at increasing speeds while eating power pellets. But, anything to keep the audience interested, I guess. Once the I's and T's were dotted and crossed, ABC gave Hanna-Barbera the A-OK to produce two seasons worth of shows to air on Saturday mornings starting in 1982. But while the show was a modest enough hit, it only lasted those two seasons before joining the void of syndication and cable reruns. Which begs the question, if this show had a decent enough following, and is obviously the byproduct of a major success of the 80s, then what the hell are we talking about this show for? Well, as it turns out, the Pac-Man animated series has a bit of a flaw. 
a flaw so big that in the nearly 40 years since it aired, one of their episodes has gone down in history as one of the worst Christmas specials of all time. In December of 1982, as part of the show's production order, ABC commissioned a Christmas special involving Pac-Man, his Pac-Family, the four ghosts plus one, no Mesmeron, but definitely a Santa Claus. A special that, for some reason, perennially makes it onto lists of worst Christmas specials of all time for various reasons, all of which we'll get to... After the break. For new Pac-Man pasta from Chef Boyardee. New Pac-Man pasta? Mmm, little spaghetti shaped like us. Delicious. And because Chef Boyardee is packed with goodness, it's great when we have to eat and run. New Pac-Man pasta from Chef Boyardee. With meatballs, <laughs> without meatballs, <laughs> or chicken flavor. <laughs> Thank goodness for new Pac-Man pasta. Thank goodness for Chef Boyardee. <laughs> Telehell is proud to partner up with Dave's Archives. Dave's Archives is the premier spot on YouTube where you can get your vintage TV fix, including old commercials and original shows covering classic TV and other TV-related pop culture. Here's just a small taste of what they have in store for you. Your cat is your friend and he depends on you to take good care of him. Purina Ketchup. Purina Ketchup can depend on Purina Ketchup. He depends on me for loving care, and I depend on Purina Catchow to give him great taste and nutrition. Purina Catchow, you can depend on Purina Catchow. Want to check out the rest of it? Go to YouTube and type in Dave's Archives, or you can visit them on Facebook. Again, search Dave's Archives. And now, back to my punishment for the week. December 16th, 1982. E.T., the extraterrestrial, cemented its status as one of the highest-grossing movies of all time. Maneater by Hall & Oates was number one on the music charts. And at 8 p.m., 7 p.m. Central, the dulcet tones of Ernie Anderson warn us of a preemption on the horizon. Joni Loves Chachi will be seen one half hour later tonight. Do anything you want, darling, it's Christmas. They're celebrating the holidays right after this special presentation. Only for that harbinger of doom to lead us into your typical snowy landscape during the holidays. Where the guy who accidentally left Mrs. Claus and the elves to perish in a nuclear explosion last week is seen in much happier times. <laughs> Rudolph, dancer, put the pedal to the metal, fellas. We've got a whole planet to cover and only a few hours to do it. It's a good thing my Christmas list is computerized, or I'd never get the job done on time. <laughs> and just to make sure I don't forget to name drop, yes, that version of Santa is voiced by Optimus Prime himself, Peter Cullen. This doesn't really add or subtract anything to the story, I just personally think he's awesome. As Santa uses the most up-to-date 1980s technology to deliver gifts, we join our Pack family in the midst of some merrymaking. Ah, there you go, Pack baby. Your very own snow ghost monsters to practice chomping on. Pack baby, where are you? Daddy, 
popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. My kid's a real chump off the old block. And while we wonder what the reproductive process of pack people are, I'm guessing a new one is born whenever a quarter's popped into the machine, we're soon joined by our ghostly quintet, who quickly try to turn merrymaking into rabble-rousing. <gasps> the ghost monsters! Uh, I'm sorry, what were those last sounds? Okay, I know their second one was supposed to be their cat hissing, but, you know, that's a cinch. Anybody can do a hiss. But play that first one again. Why does the pack dog sound like a pig after a tracheotomy? I don't know. Pigs tend to chew. I'd say each more like a duck. Well, some kind of farm animal anyway. I mean... That couldn't sound any less like a dog if you paid a voice actor to literally say the words, Hey, look, I'm a dog. I sort of get that these are supposed to be puppy and kitty-sized pack creatures, but at least get the detail of barking right. So while we wonder which part of the island of Dr. Moreau the duck doggy hails from, the pack family runs afoul of the ghosts, as is the case in most of the episodes of the show. They don't die, partly because they're cartoon characters and we're also only three minutes into the show. Instead, the pack people engage in a snowball fight with the ghosts. And foolishly enough, the ghosts use one of their own weaknesses to try and overpower them. Oh yeah? Two can play at this game! Inky, no! You're throwing the power pellets! And we're munching them! And while Scrappy-Doo changes the channel in disgust over flagrant use of his own catchphrase, the ghosts turn tail and leave. But as they're doing so, guess who they bump into next? Pick up the pace, Prancer! Faster Comet! Faster! We're falling behind schedule! The ghost's disembodied eyes spook the reindeer, causing them to break off of Santa's sleigh, and causing Santa to drop his bag of toys. Act 2 deals with the aftermath of all that. Sleigh is going down! Sleigh is going down! I repeat, sleigh is going down! Hang on, Santa! We got a red sleigh down. We got a red sleigh down. Red sleigh one, this is North Pole. Red sleigh one, this is North Pole. Mr. Kringle? Jesus Christ, they killed him! Like I said, it's a cartoon. Of course Santa's not dead. The pack group act accordingly. Whoa! <laughs> what was that? Wow, I've never seen anything like it. Maybe it's a UFO. Yeah, and look at that weird alien with a hairy face and the red spacesuit. Oh, poor little animal. Half baby, watch out! And this would be as good a time as any to address something that just now popped into my head. But... Shouldn't Santa Claus be Pac-Man shaped in this universe? I mean, I know countless people have interpreted Santa in their own inimitable ways over the years, but at least those representations happen in some sort of humanoid world within our solar system. Here, thanks to Miss Pac-Man's line of declaration... Maybe it's a UFO! We're turning Santa Claus into an interdimensional being. 
And that does raise a question or two, like, how does Santa make his way to Packland? How does he return to the normal world? What is his normal world? Why does he only work one day a year when he has a non-unionized platoon of elves doing all the heavy lifting? Well, we're never going to get the answers to any of those questions here because this is a show aimed towards a young audience. And the more questions that are asked, the sooner they'll ask even bigger questions. Like how Pac-Man and the Misses were able to procreate. Uh, I'm sorry, that one still bugs me a little bit. Anyway, the rest of the Pack township come together to wonder about their... Seemingly otherworldly visitor. Pop and power pellets! An invader from Mars! Please! So, the planet Mars exists in their universe? Do they call it Pack Mars? Or do they know about the real Mars by sliding into other dimensions Jerry O'Connell style? Or. Why am I asking so many questions in an average kid's cartoon? I mean, come on! What- Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. (sighs) Sorry, sorry, but... Sweet Satan, this show is trying to be as deep as it is shallow at the same time. And we haven't even made it to the plot of the story yet. Are you okay? I think so. Where am I? You're in Packland. Packland? That's funny. I've been all over the world and I don't remember hearing of Packland. Because you're not in the human world. There are no municipalities, principalities, provinces, states, or countries named Packland for God's sake. Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I promise not to bring any further logic into this show again. If I can help it. Anyway, I think the story in this one is pretty obvious. Now that Santa got knocked out, there's the worry that he may miss Christmas. Fortunately, the Pack Patrol is here to help. Who are you anyway? And what are you behind schedule for? You mean you really don't know? Why, I'm Santa Claus, and I'm late with my Christmas deliveries. Christmas? What's that? We're not even a third of the way through this show, and I find myself asking more questions than allowed by law. How does Pac-Man not know what Christmas is? Even atheists know what Christmas is, and they don't even celebrate... Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. (laughs) Just keep telling myself... It's just a cartoon. It's just a cartoon. They don't know any better. It's aimed for a young and innocent audience. It's just a cartoon. Go on. Why, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's the season of giving and receiving. A time of peace on earth and goodwill towards man. Christmas sure sounds wonderful, all right. We've never had anything like that in Packland. Okay, the opening shot of Santa flying through Packland has to imply that Santa has flown through the area before it. Please stand by while our host regains his sanity. It's just a kid's show. It's just a kid's show. Please. 
Move on. Oh, dear. The world's counting on me. I've never missed a Christmas yet. Gosh, this is awful, Packy. Oh, well, don't worry, Santa. We'll save Christmas for you. But, yes, but, indeed. You'll save the very holiday that you just found out about a mere... How many seconds ago? Way to get into the spirit, Pac-Man. So, while Pac-Man and company spring into action and try to retrieve the gifts, the ghosts try to hatch their latest scheme. And again, I know, this is a cartoon, as well as the basic dynamic behind the game itself. But now this dialogue's starting to border a little bit on cannibalistic. I'm getting sick and tired of that Pac-Nerd always getting the best of us. Yeah, what we need is a taste of sweet revenge. Yeah, I say we net him like this. Hey! And then we can crunch him in chocolate sauce like this. What? <laughs> and then we can chop all over him like this. Yeah! That plot filler aside, we join Pac-Man in the middle of nowhere in search of Santa's goodie bag. Uh, phrasing? Uh, his sack? Phrasing. Uh, his bag of fun? Hey, phrasing! The toys, okay? The ghosts eventually come across the toys, only for Pac-Man to spot them in the distance. Oh, no! The ghost monsters have found Santa's sack of toys! We've got to figure a way to get it back! And while we continue to wonder to ourselves what species Pac-Man's dog is supposed to be, they jump into action to stop the ghosts. Oh, great idea, Chomp Chomp. We'll burrow our way under the snow and grab the sack. So we're just done with phrasing, right? That's not a thing anymore? Act 3 begins with Pac-Man narrowly escaping the ghost cannibalism through some sweet talking. Oh, but you don't understand. All I want are the toys. Ah, uh, ain't that cute? All he wants are the toys. Come on, let's quit wasting time and chomp on his bones. Quit, Chomp Chomp! Get the toys! Okay, seriously, what kind of man-bear pig is this dog supposed to be? It's gonna keep me up all night not knowing. Fortunately, Pac-Man tries to give the ghost the slip, as Pac-Dog puts the toys back. Not quite as fortunate, though, as this is one of the rare times in the series when Pac-Man is actually defeated. Well, what do you know? I think I'm gonna get away! Fortunately, for the sake of this show being a cartoon of a video game, naturally, Pac-Man uses an implied extra life, possibly because he scored 10,000 points somewhere along the way. Or something. As Pac-Man heads back home, Optimus Santa is telling Baby Pack the tale of an old favorite. "'Twas the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring. Not even a Pac-Mouse? Okay, I gotta dock the writer some points there for not calling that mouse a Pac-Rat instead. Pac-Man eventually returns home with his energy completely zapped, but with a bag of toys. I... Guess this means the day is saved, with seven minutes to go left in the show. I'm lying, of course, there still needs to be some manufactured last-minute tension. Looks like we saved Christmas for you after all! I'm afraid not. It's just too late. Oh. Oh. There must be some way, Santa. Thanks for trying, Pac-Man. But even if my reindeer were jet-propelled, I couldn't make it in time. Jet propelled! That's it! We can still save Christmas! Santa, 
get your sleigh and reindeer and follow me! Fortunately, Pac-Man has a plan. But first, one more round with the ghosts. And it's here, where we get our standard boilerplate lesson on what Christmas is really all about. Now, imagine it's 1982. You're playing Pac-Man, and suddenly, instead of playing the game as you normally would, you see Pac-Man spouting out Emmy-baited dialogue. I can all but guarantee you that you won't be getting on any high scoreboards because in the time it takes for Pac-Man to deliver his monologue, all three of your lives would have been lost, and you would have been in debt by 25 cents. No, wait! You see, we're on an emergency mission. We're the only chance Santa Claus has of saving Christmas. Santa Claus? Christmas? That's right, Christmas. It's a time for spreading joy throughout the world. It's a time for warmth and brotherly love. I'm not doing this for me. Just think of the millions of deserving children around the world who won't get their Christmas presents if you open your mouths instead of your hearts. Lucky for Pac-Man, the ghosts see the error of their ways, and they agree to help the Pac-Clan just this once. Which brings us to our deus ex machina for this and all other episodes, the Power Pellets. You know, one of video gaming's first ever power-ups? The thing that turns ghosts blue and gives players a chance to rack up some points in the process? And speaking of that, this brings up an interesting point. How exactly does Pac-Land's food chain work? After all, it's not like power pellets grow on trees or anything, right? Oh, don't give up yet, Santa. There's the answer to your problems. Power pellets? But who are the power pellets for, Pac-Man? The reindeer. Who else? Go on, give him a chomp. So, while you're wondering how a reindeer's digestive system can metabolize a food that they've never eaten before without going through projectile vomiting or diarrhea, the day is saved. The reindeer fly off, and just as the title card states, Christmas comes to Pac-Land. Bye-bye, Santa! <laughs> Merry Christmas to all, and to all a good chump! Chop this. Christmas Comes to Pac-Land is probably one of the more enigmatic TV shows that we've covered down here so far. It's got all the elements of an otherwise cheesy holiday TV special there, but one question remains unanswered. Just exactly why does this show make it onto so many lists of the worst Christmas specials of all time? I just sat through it and I could barely spot anything that would push things over the edge aside from moments that either defy the most cartoonish of logic or moments that are mawkish and maudlin. But nothing that would be offensively bad like some of the other things that we've covered in the past few episodes. Just what the hell am I missing here? Oh man, this sound again? Now what? Excuse me, poor soul. Can you direct me to your boss's office? My fax machine finally broke after several hundred years, and now I have to deliver the naughty list to him in person. Uh, sure. 
Santa? His office is all the way downstairs in the center of hell. Just chat up the receptionist a little and she'll let you in. No problem. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, uh, before you go, uh, do you mind if I ask you a quick question? Well, I am on a bit of a schedule, but I've got time. What would you like to know? Well, I'm in the middle of reviewing this Christmas special from the 80s that everybody seems to hate for some reason, and... Let me guess. Christmas comes to Packland? Yeah. How'd you know that? Hello? Sees you when you're sleeping? Knows when you're awake, etc.? Okay, point taken. Well, anyway, I'm not exactly sure if all the hate for that show is warranted or not. Yeah, there's a lot wrong with it, but does it really belong among the worst TV shows of all time? <laughs> I'm not quite sure I understand the problem here. Well, the problem is, I personally don't think it's that bad, all things considered. But I don't want my boss ripping me a new one for going too light on it. I was just curious what you would do in a situation like this. Hmm. Well, one of the great benefits of delivering toys around the world is being able to see how the different parts of the world live their lives, up to and including expressing their opinions on things. Naturally, what one person says in one part of the world may vary greatly from what other people in other parts of the world may think. Tell me, where exactly have you heard that Christmas Comes to Packland is considered one of the worst Christmas specials of all time? Well, there seems to be some varying consensus, either from IMDB users to think pieces written by blogs and magazines. And from what you found, did you find any positive reviews? Well, they're few and far between, but I've seen a piece or two that defends it. Somewhat charitably, even. Then what I would suggest is that you go with your gut instinct on this one. You may be criticizing something and picking things apart for its flaws, but that doesn't mean you have to agree with everybody else about all of it. Well, fair enough, I guess. But what about my boss? <laughs> How long have you been down here? About a year and a half. Why? Well, let's just say there are many things that you have yet to know about the afterlife. Between you and me, if your boss gives you a hard time about it, I want you to take this candy cane and snap it in half. Wherever you are, I'll hear it, and I'll come down here. Even if it isn't December, or I'm on vacation, or anything like that, a promise is a promise. Let's just say that your boss, myself, and the other guy up above all have a history together, and you have nothing to worry about. In the meantime, just go with how you truly feel about the show. And remember, you may be a lost soul down here. But you're still you, and no force of evil could ever take that away. Wow. But that's probably one of the nicest things I've heard anybody say to me since I died. Thanks, Santa. I may be the one with the naughty list, 
but I know there's still a spark of good in most people most of the time. Most people? Well, truth be told, there are some people I can do without. Half the politicians of the world, for starters. Chattering news pundits. The inventor of elevator music. And also, one Mr. Mark Nutter. Who's Mark Nutter? <laughs> He's the blithering fool who wrote that episode of Whoops you covered last week. The one that depicted me as a guy who accidentally killed my wife and elves and doesn't know how to use a door. That's just stupid. I've existed for thousands of years. I think I know how to use a doorknob and a deadbolt. Also, the wife and elves are doing well. In fact, ever since that show aired, we've moved the workshop underground in case it ever happens for real. I don't want to say I'm a doomsday prepper, but you never know in a world like this. Jeez, no wonder that was their final aired episode. Well, that's only part true. The show ended because I got letters from Jeff Sagansky, Warren Littlefield, and Ted Harvard begging me to put the show out of its misery. Wait a minute. The heads of all the other TV networks in the 90s convinced you to convince Fox to cancel Whoops? I may be a generous toy maker, but you never say no to a TV executive. They'll cut the advertising budget for toy commercials if you do. And then business will go down, and I'm pretty much out of a job. Anyway, I gotta go. Can't keep you-know-who waiting. Have as happy a holiday as you can around here. And remember what I told you. Now then, on Dasher, on Dancer, and the rest. <laughs> Take care, Santa. Well, that's all the motivation I need. Where does Christmas Comes to Packland stocking get hung over the fireplace of Telehell? Nine circles with its fire so bright? Won't you torch this show tonight? Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery! The things I know for sure about this show was that it was a blatant cash-in on a trend that seemed to have no end in sight, even though this took place before the great video game crash a year later. Still, though, ABC was desperate to jump on the trend, and Hanna-Barbera couldn't say no to the work. You damn well better believe that money was being thrown around. Of course, that's just behind the scenes. On the screen, the plot of the show made it seem clear that all the wholesome stuff that Christmas is supposed to be about got pushed to the back burner in favor of a rescue mission for Santa's toys. Because obviously, that's what Christmas is all about. The toys and the marketing of future-packed merchandise. And nothing else, he says sarcastically. Tag it for greed. Let's also not forget that this, and the series in general, took an otherwise simple concept of a yellow creature eating everything in sight and adding unnecessary complexities to it. And yet, not enough of them to take away from the fact that eating everything in sight is still a major character trait. An easy mark for gluttony. 
In addition, I know that the animators and writers had to take a liberty or two with the character design, but turning a flat yellow circle into a grapefruit with arms, legs, and teeth still felt wrong back in 1982. At least in the 21st century, a three-dimensional Pac-Man would become more acceptable. But in this case, it still feels like heresy to an icon of the gaming world. And speaking of creative liberties, I know and I knew going into this that this is a cartoon. And while watching a cartoon, basic human logic should be thrown out the window. But between not making Santa shaped like a pack person and the fact that Packland is supposedly meant to exist in our own dimension, makes me want to chug some 100 proof eggnog in anger. I mean, I know it's just Pac-Man, but a little consistency would have been nice. Christmas Comes to Pac-Land earns four out of nine circles of telehell. It's cheesy, it's pandering, and it almost completely misses the mark on what makes a great holiday special. But I guess it could be worse. They could do a version of It's a Wonderful Life where the roles are reversed. Okay, 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 fair point. But let's wait until next year for that. Besides, I've got something a little lighter up my sleeve for next time. Next time on Telehell. Before we go on our holiday break, we revisit our Wonder Woman TV movie season premiere from October, where we'll be presenting to you, in its uncut form, some never-before-heard material featuring the Marvelists. No, 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 I'm, I'm kicking you out, so this is, like, oh. you guys, you know, zooming yeah. out of there, so, like, another, another Doppler. Uh-huh. Ah! Yeah. Until then. If it's not in telehell, it's not worth a damn. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. Podcast.